Hello and welcome to Mike's Open Journal and to episode 71. Today's kind of going to be a follow-up episode, so following on from last week's blog post where I spoke about going along to the Adispa Festival event, which was a live theatre performance uh, about dyslexia, mental health and education. It was a really, really cool experience. I'm not going to go into it too much because that's kind of what the blog post was. Um, So if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about that uh, and about my experience as a guest at that event and being involved in the after show panel discussion, you can find that obviously on the website at mikesopenjournal.com forward slash blog uh, and you can have a look through and find out a little bit more about that experience there. In this episode, I was really pleased to be joined by Lenny, who is from the DISPA team, uh, but also from the MSFT management group, uh, which have put in a lot of work that goes around not just this event, but a load of other things that are going on as well. Um, So it's really cool to talk to her about a little bit about kind of education, um, what the current situation is with um, some of the things that are going on there, but particularly around dyslexia, um, additional learning needs and mental health. So it's really cool just to sit down and have a chat about those topics, which for me, just it just doesn't happen enough. Um, so it was really cool to do that. So a big thank you to Lenny for um, giving me a bit of time in the evening so we could have a chat through following on from the performance. Um, And I think at the end of the blog post, if you go back there, if you're interested and you want to find out a little bit more, possibly want to be involved, um, you can find uh, the contact details for Lenny there, but also towards the end of this episode as well. So a big thank you to you guys for listening in, and I'm going to drop you straight into our conversation. So obviously feeding in off of... Oh, what is it now? Is it one week ago, two weeks ago? I've lost track already. Um, it's yeah basically this last week this time last week we were rehearsing for the play no no two weeks ago yeah two weeks two ago, weeks ago. <laughs> I can't, no, oh, it's <laughs> it already feels like a struggle to remember <laughs> um oh, so i i obviously came along and i've i've done a little bit of a blog post it's which by the time the podcast comes out, I think the blog post will have come out a couple of days before. Um, so everyone's able to obviously go and have a look at that. But I don't know if, if you wanted to talk a little bit about um, obviously the performance and what we saw um, two weeks ago. I'd actually love to know what you re- recall because to be able to hear someone else talking about okay. it, yeah. yeah, it'd be really good to just hear the bits that meant something to you or the, the images that sort of re- repeat in your memory when you think about the show? So I kind of remember it. Um, like the way I remember is very much like the process that you go through. So for me, like the first thing was obviously coming in and choosing like how involved you're going to be um, was something very different. Like I've not been involved in a immersive experience before. So just the idea to have to kind of choose um, was interesting at the beginning and obviously um, like I wanted to be as involved as possible um, so I choose like the full experience and then as we came in um, to kind of make our way round into a room where there was 
not loads of stuff, which was quite nice. And you've got um, like the giant spheres and some of the balloons and things like that. And I found it really interesting being in that first group that came through um, our reaction to the room. So we were all very, uh, I guess, British <laughs> in that we all, <laughs> we all came in and stood in a nice line on the wall and just looked. <laughs> And then, Were you part of the first group? Were yeah, you one of the first groups to go in? Yeah, so I think I, I think we were the first group through. Um, and, yeah, it was just very sort of, oh, you stand there and you take it in and you see that um, people are starting to move around. So then you feel a bit more like, oh, okay, we can move around, we can touch stuff. Um, and then obviously, then when other people come in and there's already someone in there, they adapt, I guess, a lot quicker to the room. Yeah. Which was really interesting for me to see when I sort of chuckle in my head as I look back and I was like, oh, we must have looked really silly coming in <laughs> and standing on the side, lining up. Um, but I guess just that um, first experience of being introduced to an environment where you don't really know what's going on um, is actually probably fairly accurate for what a lot of the like the conversations that were involved with were about. Um, and it's yeah. about putting predominantly young people um in that situation where they are uncomfortable where it is a little bit different where they are met with social challenges um and we were kind of put that in kind of into that straight away uh which is like an interesting way to sort of think about it i think there were quite a few things that you know like a couple of days later you can read into yeah and um just moving around and touching the spheres and to be honest, I didn't listen a huge amount to some of the audio that was going on initially. Um, but then, you, yeah, just walking around, touching the spheres, interacting um, with the two performers as well. And just the other people that were coming through was really interesting. And gra- were, you, were you not listening to the audio because it was hard to hear or were you just more interested in, in the text, uh, the tech, um, the tech? the tactile element of the room yeah to me um I could hear it and after probably the first I don't know 10 minutes I was probably then listening to the audio more but initially just the idea of like oh there's these giant balls that you can touch (laughs) and there's people moving around and um having performers that were interacting with you and the other people there was more of a I guess like a sensory overload to some extent um so yeah for me the audio was I could hear it but I wasn't really paying attention until after a like I say maybe 10 minutes um and gradually through that um immersive experience we obviously got to hear about uh, uh a young person's story or journey through education and some of the challenges that came with uh, like a learning difficulty which I guess as we go through is dyslexia um, but if you wanted to interpret that in different ways I think it's it's open to that idea that it's a young person that's struggling with something and the dyslexia in my mind is very much the focus of the first part of the story mm-hmm. uh, and then you see how that can potentially then lead into those struggles and difficulties with mental health and um, with her relationship within education her peers um and the i guess the adults that she's around as well whether that's family or teachers uh 
and I think for all of us that were there, kind of the way that we could connect with that story, having either been that child or being in the experience where we can recognise someone that we know uh, has been through that. Brilliant. And I think very simply <laughs> that was the story. Um, yeah. But there was a lot more that could be taken from it. And I think that will be different for each person that goes through as they, I guess, kind of apply it to their own story and their own journey. Yeah, I mean, for us, we it was it was difficult because we wanted it to be um, general enough that it could apply mm. to most people, but specific enough that people could recognise the themes of dyslexia and mental health. So... I know you can't ever create something that pleases everyone, mm. but the most important thing for us was for people to understand the frustration yeah. that anyone can go through when they feel like an outsider. And whether you've got mental health or dyslexia or any of the other neurodivergent traits, you do feel like an outsider and feeling like an outsider triggers all of the other emotions that lead to feeling isolated or feeling sad or feeling depressed. So we were just trying to show how easy it is really to slip through the cracks. I really liked that there was part of the performance where um, people had to, or didn't have to, but had the option to um, read like small parts of text or small parts of script and being someone that really struggles with um, reading, like that made me quite nervous, but I really wanted to do it because it's part of the performance and you want to be involved. And it was really, really nice that there were, I think, one, possibly two people that clearly from the way they spoke did struggle with either reading or speaking the text, but they did it and they took part. And yeah, that was really nice. I'm like, if everyone was able to do it brilliantly um I, I don't know if I would have connected with that part of it as much but hearing some people read and having that little bit of a struggle actually reinforces yes we're looking at this with regards to young people but it's still going to affect them in the future and this is potentially someone that's been through this journey already yeah and that's that was very deliberate as well to make people read and it came up quite a few times that you know we're going to make the audience feel anxious if they are dyslexic mm. or if they've got the learning differences they're going to feel anxious or if they are maybe autistic and they don't really you know feel comfortable in big groups of people that they don't know and that's why it was so important for us to ask people in the beginning like how much do you want to participate Though it's a little bit cruel because they don't know what they're participating <laughs> in. <laughs> so um, we did feel a bit guilty because had someone said to me, oh, there's going to be reading in this and you're opting in to do some reading, cold mm. reading, I wouldn't want to do it. I'd be terrified as a dyslexic person. You know, I wouldn't want to do that. But I figured that if we're trying to recreate the sensation of that fear and that anxiety mm. that you can't give people too much information otherwise they won't have the opportunity to experience you know like like you experienced yeah. yeah and I think that's quite nice because when you go in I think that you saying that the way it's worded is slightly different isn't it so I think it's um it says like you're choosing to speak it doesn't say read 
Yeah. So <laughs> it's very nicely worded. <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, I'll talk. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> um, but if we had said you'll be reading, I just don't think we would yeah. have had as many people select the full participation. I definitely would have thought a lot more about it. I think for the reasons that I was coming, I probably will. I probably still would have chosen full participation, but I definitely would have thought about it a lot more. Um, and I can see how, yeah. yeah, some people would be put off by that. Um, but I think it was nice even during the performance, yeah. some people that had chosen um, to do um, like part participation or full participation, once they're in there, some were quite happy to say, actually, no, I don't want to do that part. And I saw some people get up that weren't um, like full participation. So I think once they were in there as well, it's quite a nice mixture. It wasn't like, oh, I've chosen to do this and that's what I have to do. People did feel able yeah. to kind of mix. Swap. Yeah, no, I noticed that as well, that some people just removed their badge completely, mm. which really confused the actor. <laughs> and other people were participating regardless of what their badge said. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I, I am pleased with how active our audience was because one of the key things for us, as well as the themes of mental health and dyslexia, as a company, as DISPLA, we were investigating how far we could push the audience, which is why it was an R&D project as opposed to a, a proper performance. That's why there was only two shows. So through our research that we've been researching audience involvement, participation, um, blurring the boundaries between when an audience member becomes a participant and what it means to have that exchange, we've been workshopping that since January and we've worked with about um, over 100 people since the beginning of the year in various R&D workshops throughout the year. So the only time we didn't have an audience was during the week of rehearsal. Up until that point, we'd always been working with a live audience, people that knew nothing about the script. They didn't know what they were. They weren't even asked if they wanted to participate <laughs> or not. They were just thrown in. Um, so it was actually through the R&D that... Um, that one of the artists said, oh, actually, we should think about this. And, you know, we need we need to sort of make sure that we're looking after people and making sure that they're consenting. So it was, yeah, it, it was a luxury for all of you, all of you <laughs> audience in Portsmouth. Had you been R&Ding in London, you would have to been tortured a little bit more. <laughs> I do. I think it was, I think it was nice in... In regards to some people did very much sit on the the outside of the room and clearly were a lot more comfortable viewing in a more traditional way, I guess, of a performance. So I think yeah, it's nice definitely. that they were able to come along and experience that. And as I say, I, I guess if you have a passing interest, um, you would be more likely to do that. Or maybe if you've been heavily affected uh, I guess by some of the the topics that you're covering, maybe again for some people it might be a bit too close to home, and they'd rather sit back and not actually be involved in a scenario or setting that they maybe have actually been in. Yeah, I mean, what was the most surprising thing was that I had one lady came up to me and said that she had an autistic son and he was 14, and you know she's glad that she came without him because she didn't think her son would be able to cope with how how much is going on in the show in terms mm. of projection and the audio and like the overload of sensory information mm. yet there was another group or um from i think they're called um 
theatre bodies and correct me if you if you if I've remembered it incorrectly but it was a mix of um different needs I would say some had severe learning differences other people may have been autistic there was like a real mix of abilities Mm. and in the beginning we were we didn't want to single them out with our performers we didn't warn the performers or like we wanted everyone to have the same experience and throughout the performance some of the producers were getting concerned saying you know thinking oh is, is this too much should we have prepared people about the projections and stuff and then at the end of the show they this group um i think they're called oh, i'm really annoyed now that i can't remember what they're called i think they're theater buddies i'm, I'm pretty I, sure it's- yeah i can't remember what they were called but I, I know the group that you were talking about because the lady walked around at the end and did a quick sort well, of she, chat they, with everyone they, yeah, they stayed until the end and they really loved it. They were participating, they were reading out. And I, it made me feel like sometimes we can overload protecting what we think people need Mm. and then sometimes we take away the right for people to experience and decide for themselves what is too much and I was just so impressed by the fact that they stayed they wanted to stay for the um the debate Mm. and that they felt completely included in the same way that every other audience member was included there wasn't any special allowances for them and they Mm. didn't they didn't want them they wanted to be treated the same and yeah. think that's something that theatre companies, organisations, policy makers need to really keep in mind to make sure that we're actually involving everyone. Mm. And yeah, I don't, I don't always think theatres and the art world are involving. I think there's too much protection. Like, Oh, you, you know, th- there's going to be a lot of, this or a lot of that and it might not be suitable for this group of people it might not be suitable for that group of people well sometimes I think it's just all too much Mm. and no one really knows how much yeah I I think I know I'm repeating myself basically but it's just a case of we need to be conscious that we're not making decisions for people with differences and that we're allowing those people to make their own decisions I think yeah I agree I think the big thing is it's not like um, you've gone out onto the street and you are exposing people to that that haven't chosen to see it. So they've come along to the performance in the first place, which shows an, an interest and an awareness of the generally the topics that are covered. Um, and I think what was quite nice about where we were as well is that you had um, definitely one, if not possibly two, rooms or spaces where people if they felt like they needed to leave could have left and had quite a nice private space um to go and sit in for five minutes and then if they wanted to come back they could have come back um and that was we deliberately left the the dressing room open which is mm. another reason why we wanted to use the dressing room for where people leave their bags and where they change their shoes Mm. and it, it is the safe space for any audience member that just needs 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 to get out yeah that's a lot nicer than oh if you've got to leave (laughs) there's a toilets like you've actually provided a room for people to go to and i think the thought is then there that actually like you say if these people do need space whether it's because of their learning style ability their background their own experience maybe they just get hot and need to go and sit somewhere else with a window Um, that space has been provided for them um, and that 
situation has been considered but you're not yeah. stopping those people from engaging or participating in the event or, or the activity or embarrassing people like so the fact that the door was always open no mm. one had to ask anyone else how to get out of that space mm. so it was about not wanting to humiliate anyone as well or like anyone regardless of ability could step out at any point mm. um and it and we didn't make up we didn't need to do an announcement about it, it was simply just leave the door open yeah. leave the light on in the in the other room and it's pretty it's pretty clear that you can get out of this space at any at any point yeah and i think the fact we'd come in that way as well it wasn't like like you say it's not a side room that no one had walked through you didn't need to ask you've you've walked through it you've been in there you know what the room looks like you know where it is um yeah. and you don't need then to have that announcement because i think a big part of the experience especially being one of those first groups was that you walk into the room and you're not given a big like hi this is the performance if you like get ready to move around and listen to what's going on yeah. if you respect everyone that'd be great like it's just you walk in that's it um, that's it no spoon feeding no yeah. like prompting reaction no directing the audience you're literally left in that space on your own to see mm. what you will do mm. because when you when you go to a gallery no one tells you what to expect they just let you walk around the space yeah. and the piece was meant to also be a standalone installation so it's kind of like a hybrid between an installation and a performative installation um, but the idea is that if we were able to get an art gallery space, then the balloons and the projection and the audio would be running constantly. And then we would program the performances throughout the day. But that space should exist mm. on its own. Mm. And that every person that goes into the space would also get their balloon, their initiation. So that at the end of a week, for example, that room will be covered in balloons because you've got the balloons that, that are the massive giant spheres. Yeah. But you also have the balloons that each individual audience member wears into the space and then ends up leaving in the space. So you have like, yeah, it will just become like a massive um, play pit really mm, by the yeah. end of the week or of a month. And all of those people will leave their trace, their energy, their dreams, their fears within that space. I think that's quite nice, I guess, because over time, then that experience or that visual will change as more and more people go through yeah absolutely and another idea i had which if we do it again i would use is that in the initiation period where you're asked to think about the kind of things that you want you want to consider when you're going on this journey back into your childhood i uh, the way that the show was working is that each audience member would think about about those things say them out loud and then blow them into their balloon mm. but if we do it again i'd want to give people black markers so that they write words on these balloons so it could be anxiety mm. fear hope happiness and um, patience whatever whatever those feelings were you'd have all of these words on these balloons mixed in with the giant balloons and that again will change the texture of the space and mm. when it is an installation space the audience will walk around and they'll be able to pick up all of these different balloons that have all of these different um invisible people uh invisible people's fears and hopes and dreams and i think there's something quite exciting about being able to read other people's balloons as well while you're in the space 
and challenging as well to write some of those words. <laughs> well, exactly. But it's the one place no one cares if you spell anything wrong. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> I stick to the short words. <laughs> so I don't know, um, like, what was the original idea or inspiration for um, this project? Well, I've always been interested in performative installation. I've got an MA from Central and my MA piece um, was a, I, I created a photo booth and you go into the photo booth and you watch a film, but to get into the photo booth, you have to dress up as the character that is playing within the film, but you don't know that. So it was always about how can you dress up the audience? How can you turn the audience into the performer? Hmm. I've always been in where performance and installation kind of blurs the line and how you how that works um so i think it's pretty much a continuation of that in terms of what we were trying to do with the audience and this it's definitely an installation piece mm. but how much can the audience become the performer which is one of the reasons they they participate in the way they do they become the child they become the teacher they become the parent um so, yeah, I think it's just most most people have that one idea probably in their life that mm. they just regurgitate and keep on trying to trying to explore in loads of different ways. And for me, it's how, you know, there's a few things that I'm interested in as an artist. One is what is dyslexic narrative. So I've been trying to explore that in a various various ways. And the second thing is how do you turn an audience member into a participant into a performer so what is the difference between audience participant uh, performer and where and 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 the and the the fluidity between those those labels and one minute you're an audience one minute you're a voyeur then you're participating then you're asked to do some role play so then you become the performer and how many times you can take that that individual audience member onto that roller coaster ride of different levels of participation and how does that change their experience um so that's yeah that's much it i've seen um when i've been to uh like uh art installations museums you start to see now more of this kind of interactive type of art where you can walk around it you can touch it and um it's a much more, I guess, it can be more appreciated because more people are willing to look at and interact with that rather than a traditional painting or drawing or something like that. And then to see that mixed in with uh, like a theatrical performance is really interesting because I think it just opens up, like you say, that experience level to, I don't know if it's a new level or it's something different, but um it's that crossover between these are two things where traditionally you would sit and watch but at the same time they're both developed so that you interact in some way so instead of walking around um like the balloons you're able to touch them feel them like um you've got someone on one side touching and someone on the other side touching it and so you're it's not just you feeling it like you're interacting with someone else through that and the Mm -hmm. same with the performance it's like um when you go along to uh, 
oh, what are they like the the nativities or um, like the Christmas performances where you get people to get involved to some extent, but it's always really minimal. Like, oh, what's your name? And shout out this or shout out that. Um, but through the performance, people are actually. It's not like you're a guest on the stage. It's kind of like you are part of the performance. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've explained that very well. But, but you... well, I, think there, I think you've explained it perfectly and that's what we want. Like we, we don't want it to be this separate thing of the audience and the performer mm. because while you create that void, then you're not having to take any kind of emotional or physical investment in what you've come to participate in. Like some people think, well, if you're an audience member and you're watching and you're listening, that is participation. And if you clap at the end, that is participation because you're physically doing something in that space. Therefore you are an active audience member, but it's almost like you don't have to emotionally invest. Mm. Whereas what we're trying to do is if you put the audience member in the piece then they have to become emotionally invested and they become emotionally invested whether they want to or not because the context of the project is triggering in some way. And a lot of people said, oh, yeah, the piece was really triggering and you've got to be careful about how far you push people because you don't you, you don't know what histories people come with to the theatre. But it goes back to my point before that if you protect to such an extent mm. that you then make the participant um, void because you're so scared of triggering anything that they then become a void in yeah. that space. So I don't think, and, and just one more point, I think this idea of always wanting to protect everyone is probably one of the reasons why there is so much mental health in this country and around the world because no one is really willing to tap into what's going on people. Mm. Everyone is more willing to sort of, or more comfortable not addressing the elephant in the room, sweeping it under the carpet, not, not, not speaking about anything that might trigger someone because we don't, you know, we don't want anyone crying or we don't want anyone to have, to have an emotional effect. So we're creating a society where no one is able to connect with their emotions because we're so terrified of like what will happen if someone if someone has an outburst. And it's almost a disservice to humanity in a way because we should we should be embracing our emotions. We should be allowed to cry and get angry and laugh and be happy and be loud and be quiet and have a have a physical reaction to the life that we're living instead of always pretending that we're like these subdued robots that never feel anything or never get angry or never get scared or you know like we've got to really be careful of this because it's only our emotions that separate us from our from the machines around us and i think we need to do more to try and make people more emotional as opposed to less emotional I agree. And I think the important thing is, like you say, the consideration of how it's going to affect people and their own experience coming into it. Personally, I feel like that's kind of covered by the fact that it is advertised as a performance or an event that is looking at dyslexia and mental health. It's not like someone's come along and they're expecting Aladdin. Um, Like it is quite clear. These are the topics that we are going to be talking about performing discussing um so for me that's not that wouldn't be a concern that i would have because it's not a sudden surprise that you go in there and you're like oh my god they're talking about depression and anxiety and all that really sad stuff and um like you're told this is going to be part of what we're looking at 
Um, so yeah, I agree. I, I don't think that that is a a concern that there's an overexposure or a shock in that way. Um, and I think it is important that performances actually acknowledge those struggles. And for me, it's really interesting to see something that I I felt was quite sort of dyslexia focused initially. Um, looking at essentially what comes from some of the things that we do, whether that's considered correct or incorrect. Um, within education and the fact that this the treatment of um the character's experience by having dyslexia it is purely the treatment that they receive that then leads into a a mental health illness or a potential mental health illness and um could that have been addressed in a different way by the the teacher or the adult character um then you you're you're cutting down so much of the the stuff essentially that leads into a secondary illness that didn't need to be there um i think you're right just by having those conversations makes a huge difference the the way that we treat different people with whether that's different learning abilities styles whether it's to do with their appearance or anything about their character so often then leads into um like in this situation a mental health illness that yeah maybe they would have had that anyway but you're definitely making it a lot more lightly because of that um and i know when we spoke um the other day and we were talking about how you essentially get from a stage where someone having dyslexia really isn't a bad thing it's just a, a different learning style but it's our treatment as a culture and as society that essentially makes that um, that part of them see become a negative aspect when there's so many beneficial things that could come from that. Yeah. Now, when I was flyering, I met. I, I gave. Um, I was flyering in Portsmouth because obviously we're a London-based company. We didn't have a network, mm. so it was pretty amazing how many people showed up. Actually, considering we we were really worried that we were going to be playing to a group of ten people each night, <laughs> but. Um, when I was out flying, I met this woman and I was telling her what the project's about. And she said, oh, you know, I'm not dyslexic, but I was really shocked that when I went to the job centre to apply for a job, they gave me a form to fill out and they said, make sure your handwriting's neat and there's no spelling mistakes in it. And she was, and she said, and, you know, for a minute I thought, well, I'm, I'm all right. I can spell and I've got neat handwriting. But what would happen to someone that, you know, like in the 20." 20, what, what century are we in the 21st century <laughs> yeah. we're not allowed to fill it out on the computer and we're still being judged on our spelling and on our handwriting and I've got really appalling handwriting it's awful if I had to go and look for a job at the job center and they looked at my application with my spelling mistakes and my handwriting someone would think that I'm not worth employing Mm. so we are still writing people off not based on their ability or their intellect but on these superficial things like handwriting and spelling and I call it superficial because we don't actually have to do it that's what the computers are there for we don't have to fill out a form by hand anymore you know especially if that's going to be used against us in a discriminatory way to prevent people getting jobs yeah and like you say maybe it was different 10 20 years ago but now how often in our workplaces do you need to write anything other than a note to yourself um with a pen like hardly hardly ever happens or for the amount of time it does that really shouldn't be an essential but for 
it to be happening in the job centre yeah. where you go to try and find a job. I mean, there's a huge thing there in the fact that there is real discrimination against dyslexic and neurodivergent people in the workplace because if you've got to go to the job center to find a job mm. and you're being judged on your handwriting and your spelling then your learning difference is political and it is preventing you from getting a job and i think that is terrifying you know and that's probably why so many dyslexics are self-employed because mm. they know that the discrimination is real it's still going on no matter how much, you know, we're currently in Dyslexia Awareness Week. Mm. And regardless of that, people are st still completely prejudiced over things like appearance, handwriting and spelling. And if you mispronounce a word or if you can't recall, you know, a bit of information within a couple of seconds, then people think that, oh, well, you know, you're not you're not very bright then, are you? Mm. Or, you know, I mean, I constantly get words muddled up. But, but I think that's a dyslexic trait. And people's names, I get them muddled up or I forget them. Again, a dyslexic trait, it's down mm. to short-term memory. It doesn't mean I'm not capable. Or intelligent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just really scary. And I'm, I feel relieved that I don't have to ask anyone for a job because I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if anyone would give me one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really, yeah, it's something is, it's, that is why I think it is political, which is why we framed politics within the piece mm. because education is political and I don't think people realise just how political it is. I think that's a big thing as well. And there was um, quite like a noticeable shift obviously for us where, um, we moved from the performance onto the panel and it did take on more of a, I guess not necessarily political, but it looks at government and how education is structured and why we do some of the things we do. And I think that was quite an interesting yeah. conversation there as well. And different people having, again, different views um, about why we test, how we test, um, how our education is structured, what goes on in the classroom. And it just made me wonder more why we don't have more conversations about that openly um yeah it doesn't have to necessarily be i mean the assumption is that that's happening at a high level in government whether it is or it's not um but maybe that should be happening more just in the classroom or just with peers where we discuss the fact that people will have different learning styles different experiences and the fact that if I shout at you, maybe it'll encourage you, but it also could demotivate you. And that there's an understanding that people are, um, like the way that they react to different situations and scenarios will be different and that needs to be considered. Yeah, I, th I think there's also a real need for people, especially now with the change in the political climate, for people to get active because I, for, for, I'll give you an example. So we were going around looking at primary schools today for our, for our daughter. She's three years old. And when we were walking through the schools, um, the teacher said, oh, we're going to become an academy. Mm. And I said, oh, you know, why, why are you going to become an academy? She was like, oh, well, you know, that's, that's what the government wants. You know, the government wants all the schools to become academies. And I said, oh, but I thought it was only the failing schools that have to become academies, like, you know, as a punishment for not being able to manage themselves. She goes, no, we're in an out outstanding school and we're still being forced to become an academy. Mm. And she goes, but there's nothing we can do because all of the parents and the governors have said they don't mind. And I said, well, do they understand what it means? And she goes, probably 
absolutely not. Mm. And I'm thinking, wow, like we're asking people to make decisions about our children's futures and how they're going to be educated when we're not really providing them with the information of what it means to become an academy. People don't realize that all that means is that people <laughs> are making money out of your children's education and they have shareholders and it's about profit and it's not about how good your pupils, your, your, your kids' experiences in school or the quality of their education. And they're cutting the arts out, out of primary school, out of secondary school, and if you cut the arts out, where do you, where are you meant to get your thinkers from? Mm. Where are you meant to get the people that are questioning life and how we do things and how we reinvent ourselves? I mean, that just seems insane when we're moving towards um, artificial intelligence and machines and robots taking over most people's jobs in the next sort of 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Mm. We should be investing more in creativity and making sure that we're protecting the arts in school, art and drama and dance and, you know, music. We should be protecting these things because they're the things that computers hopefully will never be able to replace us in, you know? Like, I just, yeah. it makes no sense to me how the government is making these decisions and what they're valuing. And and why does it, why does it matter if, if kids can have a great memory or not? Why do they have to be tested on what they remember when Google provides everything you'll ever need? <laughs> yeah. It makes no sense. I think there's, for me, there's always that balance of, um, like, everything that's done in education, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Why are we doing that? Um, and it comes back to, like, in my head, you get um, the... Uh, young people that are maybe more like more creative they might be more practical um and if initially all we're saying is right wow you can't do english you can't do maths you can't do science um and you're not great at oh, i don't know history um yeah you're going to be a failure so you can go and do something else I'm like well if that person is going to be like an amazing hairdresser mechanic whatever they could be extremely rich in their future um, and they could be extremely successful alongside um, being a hairdresser or a mechanic. They will need potentially really, really strong like business and admin skills if they're going to set up their own company. Um, and why does it not come from the aspect of this is how or this is why you need this rather than so many people, I think, are taught to pass an exam. And I think they're given that impression. I know I always had that at at school and a lot of the time at college um it was i'm being taught in this way and i'm being taught this stuff so that at the end of the year um i can sit down for an hour or two hours and pass this exam it was never so i have knowledge or the ability to complete a task or because it's relevant to a job it was just because i have to do it for that um yeah now, and you're school like when I was speaking to this primary school teacher and she said yeah. to me that um year two and year six have to be their stats their stats stats exams mm. and I said oh what, what's that used for is that so that they can like go on to a, a specific school and she goes no no there's nothing like that in Enfield you know we don't we don't have grammar schools in Enfield it's not so that they can get into a specific school it's just for the government to be able to see if we're a good school or not and I was like so you're just testing the kids to see whether or not you're... So really, you're testing the kids to test the school. Yeah. It's not even about making sure that these kids have a specific 
advantage or mm. that they are, I don't know, it just seems like so backwards that everything is just about proving something. But when you boil it down, what you're proving is pretty much irrelevant. Yeah. So you're reading all of these kids' education and their experience and their opportunities to be creative all for paperwork for the government to be able to say, yeah, we've got an outstanding school. Mm. But it doesn't mean anything because you're not being, that child isn't being tested on what they can actually do. They're only being tested on what they can remember. Yeah, Um, and I think that is a big thing of, like you say, are we tested to remember or or are we tested or educated to know? And a lot of the time I feel like it's to remember um, and yep. that's where you see the difference in some people that are, um, I guess, academically gifted in some ways and they're able to pay less attention in class and they can ace an exam and other people will struggle. And for me, that's where you're seeing that potentially you've got a, a teacher or an educator that really does know their stuff. They're absolutely amazing at knowing English or math or whatever, but are they a good teacher if some of the students don't understand what's going on? I'm sure, like, I had, even at university level, I had a a business um, tutor, absolutely amazing, like, was still working in business, um, had either his own company or was, like, a a major shareholder in, in one, and his knowledge was next to, like, it was amazing. But as a tutor absolutely awful because he couldn't explain anything if you asked a question if you needed to hear it in a different way like I, I just don't quite understand that can you explain it and you just get the same words back and to me that was almost like a a really really good example of I think what so many of us have in schools and it is someone that absolutely knows their subject and it is amazing in that but just their ability sometimes to tailor it or explain it to different people who will learn in different ways is is limited. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, so just, I guess, to kind of round off a little bit, um, obviously it was really cool to come along to, to the performance and to hear about the development of that. I don't know, what are your plans for Will You Fail Her moving forward? So we would like um, to go back to the Arts Council and tell them that we have something, you know, we have, we're on the cusp of something mm. and to try and get more funding so that we can stage a proper, proper run of it next year. Um, but ideally, I, wanna, I want to put this on in a gallery. So we're looking to make relationships and partnerships with some galleries around London and across the country people that would want to experiment with us, explore with us, um, develop this with us. Like I said at the beginning, this was an R&D project and we're trying to explore how an audience member can be integrated into the into the performance and into the experience, as well as having the, the political debate about where we are in the education system. So what you experienced with the performance and the panel discussion, we'd want that to continue. The only difference would be that it would be in a gallery environment, the space would be open for longer, mm. and that the performances would be programmed throughout the day. And maybe the panel discussions would be on once a week as opposed to at the end of each performance. Hmm. I think that sounds really cool. And I think the idea that 
more people could experience something similar to um, what we obviously did a couple of weeks ago would be really good. Um, and again, it's just that awareness and getting people talking about some of those struggles that people have, but also just experiencing it a little bit for themselves as well, I think is really good. Um, yeah. If people wanted to find out a little bit more about the project or about you, um, where's the best places for them to go or to find that out? So the, we're really um, proactive on our Displa Festival Facebook page. Um, everything is always going to be listed on our website as well, which is displa.com. And Displa is spelled D-Y-S-P-L-A dot com. Um, but also, if anyone reaches out to you and they're interested in maybe working with us or they've got a space that they would like to, I don't know, share with us, mm. then anyone contacts you, feel free to give them my number. Cool. Um is only run by my partner and myself, so we're a small we're small in terms of like bureaucracy. It's just us two making the work. Mm. And then we commission in artists to help us um, create the work. So we're a small company. We are London based, but we do want to travel around the country. I mean, in, a, in next month, one of our films is going to be shown in Cas. Where, where is it going to be? Potentially. Yeah. Feminism in the art so we're going to potentially be in the feminism in the what what did you say feminism feminism in art conference which okay. will be it's called philia and then later on we're also going to be showing one of our films in it's near scotland where um, berrican upon upon tweed what Berwick upon tweed i told you i can't speak <laughs> i was gonna i can't correct you i've never heard of that place <laughs> yeah neither, neither have i but you know they've invited us and, and we'll basically the point is we'll go anywhere we're not mm. london centric we don't only want to stay in london yeah if anyone wants to work with us we we want to work with them and we want to travel the country and like get the message out there there's there's loads of things going on on london like we're inundated with projects that happen in london but we feel like we also need to make sure that there's things going on outside of London. And yeah, I think people in London forget how lucky they are with how much yeah. is available. Um, and we want to make sure that our work is available to people that can't come to London. Like we'll go to them. Mm. And we did have an offer from a lady that runs um, a business and is part of a school in, um, in, oh God, um, the Isle of Wight. Oh, okay. So yeah. we, we are already getting offers to take things to different places, but until we've got the funding, mm. we can't really do anything without money. So for us, we need, unless people are going to say, oh yeah, you know, we'll pay your expenses. We'll pay for your artist. We'll pay you guys to come down. Yeah. But most people that need to see our work don't have that kind of money. So mm. it will be a case of, we've got to go back to the arts council, see if we can get a touring budget so we can take our work across the country in schools and galleries and theatres and empty warehouses. Like we're not precious. We 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 can work anywhere and we wanna we just wanna reach out to people that don't get to have this conversation. Mm. Um, I think that's one of the good things is it is a, a flexible piece. It could be delivered in a bigger or a smaller space. It um it is just about getting people in there to see it, to hear it, to be part of it, um, yeah. which I think is is really important. It's really important that they're part of those conversations around 
um, different learning styles and abilities and, and mental health as well. So uh, I obviously think it's a great project and definitely if people are interested, they really should be um, at the very least just having a look and seeing what's going on and um, trying to be involved if possible. Definitely. Thank you. That's so, that, yeah, if anyone does contact you, do just put them in touch yeah. with us. I the will more do. Like if we can go back to the Arts Council and say, right, we've got three partners that want to work with us on this tour, mm. then we're more likely to be able to get that funding. Yeah. We can't go back to the Arts Council and ask for more money if we've got no no strategy. Yeah. So spend the next few months just reaching out to people and saying, okay, like this is this is us, this is what we're working on. Are you interested in installation art? Are you interested in performative art? Are you interested in participatory art, Mm. participatory theatre? And try and find those people that are making work that complements, that we can complement their already existing programme and try and get some producers and co-producers interested in us and hopefully raise our profile as well. Cool. That all sounds really good and hopefully obviously following on from uh the stuff that i'll put out soon hopefully again it just draws people over to you and um if there's anything else going on i'll try to share that as well so hopefully we get more people aware of what is a really important topic i guess a few topics in there really um quite a few actually now i sat here thinking about <laughs> more ways more asking adding uh, more and more and more i know well when i think of at the what almost an hour now i reckon we spoke for about an hour the other day and there's still more that could be said um so they are really important topics thank you um is there anything else that you want to make sure we include um i forgot to send you the actors um mp3 file so i'll make sure i do that um but no I think um, I, I need to get it off of her. Um, but yeah, no, I think like we've covered we covered the project, what our objectives are, what the plans are for the future. I mean, the only other thing that I'd want to add yep. for your listeners is that they should really think about joining a political party because once you're once you're involved in politics, you can actually do something, lobby, create motions, send them to a conference, lobby your MP to make sure that they vote in a conscientious way when it comes to the educational cuts and how schools are being bullied into turn to be turned into academies. Mm-hmm. So I think like my last word would be that anyone that feels passionate about any of the things that we discussed today should really think about joining a political party that they feel supports uh yeah supports the education cuts i mean i i recently joined the labor party of course i wouldn't tell anyone what to do or who to join Mm. but i found that since i've joined the labor party i just feel so much better equipped to understand what's going on and and to know what to ask for and what to fight for and who to reach out to and you know like there's no point there's no point just having nice cozy ideas and having debates between like-minded people Mm. if that then doesn't turn into activism within the community yeah so i would encourage everyone to just think about that and see what they can do within their community to to make sure that 
they're protecting our schools because we're gonna we're gonna lose them all they're all going to become academies before we know it and i think a big thing is especially for for young people um is just to make sure you're registered to vote at the very least um i know there's there's drives kind of not quite every year but most years there seems to be a drive to get young people to vote and um it is a really important thing and if you've moved at all recently make sure you're registered at the new address as well so that you are able to um vote whichever party you want to vote for um and as we've spoken about it's it's making sure that you've you do have that right and that opportunity to vote and to voice your opinion um don't miss out by um not being registered or not being aware of what's going on there will be something that someone will say that you'll agree with or disagree with um however big or small you've got an opportunity to be part of those discussions and the decisions that are made so don't miss out on that opportunity and um i apparently i found out that you can apparently register to vote from 16 you don't mm. you obviously you can't vote until you're 18 but yeah. you can register when you're 16 and then by the time you're 18 yep. if there's a snap election within those few years then you're already on the system and you're ready you're ready to go. Yeah. So I'd encourage any 16-year-olds that are listening, register to vote. It only takes a couple of minutes. Mm. And then you're in the system and you're ready by the time you turn 18 um, if there's a snap election. And there are talks of an election that there'll probably be an election by the end of the year. So it's quite exciting times that we're living in. Exciting might be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> 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 the idea of socialism really excites okay. me actually having a different a different way of doing things so anyway i shouldn't really tell people my political beliefs they might they might not no. <laughs> they might not want to work with a socialist <laughs> again it's one of those things i don't we'll, we'll finish off in a second but oh it's another one of those things it's like people don't talk about it and i just don't understand like are we not at a, anyone, yeah, but are we not at a stage where like i can say something that you don't agree with you can say something i don't agree with and we can just discuss that as like rational people that say actually i i really agree with this or this is more important to me um i just but yeah it, it goes back to what we were saying before that everyone is so scared to upset anyone else or offend anyone else. So mm. we all just walk around in silence, not wanting to rock the boat. Yeah. And that's the way that, you know, unfortunately, like we've been bred to feel like that or think like that or yeah. socially conditioned to behave like that. Cause you and I both really open people spoken to each other a few times. Mm. I feel awkward talking about my political beliefs. Mm. So there has to be something in the conditioning the yeah. social conditioning that we have both experienced growing up to make us feel awkward about it i think and it's the same with mental health and talking about dyslexia yeah one of the things i've noticed in the last year two years or so as well is particularly um with the recent votes that have happened around um britain leaving the eu um the american elections and slightly with our recent election um is almost the shame that's put on some people of like oh if you want to vote to leave the eu like there's something wrong with you that's not what you should do if you want to vote for donald trump there's something wrong with you your views are completely wrong and yeah. um 
I think by shaming essentially those people, you stop the discussion and then all of a sudden you end up with these shock results that a lot of us would think, oh, that won't happen because we're, I don't want to say rational, um, but, but we understand um, our way of thinking. And I think it's really important that more people are open to discussing those different views because essentially what we're doing is we're creating almost mini extremism um, and it's pushing those people that believe or follow a particular value to say, actually, what you think is wrong because it's not what I think and yeah. that should be shamed. Actually, let's just say you think something different to me. I don't agree with that, but that's OK that you think that. And I wonder yeah. whether just that open discussion would have made a huge difference to some of those recent results. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to have the panel discussion at the end of You Will Fail Her and to have like a real mix of people and backgrounds and professions mm. so that it's not one person leading as the expert, but that we're all experts within our, our own field, within mm. our own um I don't know, within our own professions, like we're experiencing the effects of dyslexia and mental health within our own profession. Therefore, we become an expert within our own profession. Mm. And then you have six ex experts with different backgrounds and the conversation just becomes broader automatically instead of having six teachers that are all, yeah. you know, that's all from the, the, the similar part of the country or mm. that are, they're all English teachers from the same school. Then you're only going to have one conversation. Mm. Um, and everything needs to be opened up a lot more. Um, so that's why education is political, because yeah. we have to fight for it. When you did say you wanted to be involved and be on our panel, we were really, really grateful. Oh, that's really cool. Thank you so much. Oh, no worries. I really enjoyed it. It's good. It's a good project. So I'm glad to have got to experience it. So it's good. Brilliant. Well, thank you, mate. Hopefully no we'll worries. see you again. Our paths will yes, cross. Yes, hopefully. Um, so have a lovely evening and I'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, no problem. Good night. Have a good Bye. night, darling. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank Bye. You. Bye. I need to work out actually how to do that audio bit in a slightly different way because the drums just sound weird. Uh, but yeah, big thank you to Lenny for coming back onto the podcast and having a chat with me, not just about the Dispa Festival, but also just generally mental health, dyslexia, learning difficulties, and our current education system as well. So it was really cool just to sit down and have a little bit of time just to talk about that. Uh, and I think more and more that fits in with what Mike's Open Journal and the podcast especially is about, um, just making time for those conversations uh, and just being able to talk about stuff that we don't usually talk about. So with that in mind, a big thank you to all of my previous guests and to those guys who are now booked in between now and December. So it's awesome stuff to have those scheduled in. So I'm really looking forward to talking to everyone that's booked in for the future podcast episodes. If you were really interested in what was discussed today, uh, then I've got a little clip from Lenny, which might be useful for you, which I'm going to drop in right here. Dyspla, which is D-Y-S-P-L-A. Yep. And then the word P, well, the letter P, the letter R. So it's dyspla, P-R, at gmail.com. So you can get in contact with Lenny at that email address, uh, which is also linked at the bottom of the blog post as well. So if you go over and check that out, 
uh, the contact details are there. There's also a few links to some of the social media channels and websites that are related to some of the other people that were involved with the display event that I attended as well. There's also a few short videos and things like that going up on YouTube, so you should definitely go and check those out as well. Um, again, you'll be able to find those through the websites and social media channels that we've linked to. I'll also try and add in a couple to the description blocks. Blocks. Oh, and my phone speaked as well. How unprofessional. I'm currently thinking about editing that bit out. And no, I, I'm not going to worry. Um, <laughs> you guys know editing is not my thing. Okay, uh, so a big thank you to everyone that's involved. Please do check out the links if you are interested in them. If you're not, you should probably check them out anyway. Uh, and I look forward to talking to you guys again very, very soon. In the next episode, so episode 72, I will probably be talking to Beth, who is a Time to Talk Wales champion. Uh, if she's not in the next episode, it'll be the one after. So that's coming up very, very soon. So look out for that. As always, please, please do remember there's lots of information, support and guidance out there for you. Um, do look at the different resources and support and information that are available. Uh, make sure you're talking to people if you are struggling with anything that's going on in your life. Please do remember you're not alone out there.